Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. This is the final day in talking on grace. Actually, we talk about grace every week, but uh, when it comes to God and who he is. But in this series, but for the grace, last few weeks, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back in the podcast and listen to it. We talked about saving grace, talked about sustaining grace. And then last week, we talked about forgiving grace. Not only that we, forgiving God forgives us, but God giving us the grace to forgive. The ability that, that God would help us to do that. And I, I just heard some great responses. Of really, you know, when you hear somebody go, oh, that's pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. It, it's, I'll take the compliment, that's great. But when someone says that impacted me and it impacted me this way. Uh, someone shared in our small group last week, about how God used uh, him, the, the message, to be able to go and reconcile with some relationships that have been broken for 10 years. So, Lord is at work in our lives. And, and today, as we wrap up, we're going to talk about hindering grace. That you and I actually can hinder God's grace. You're like, how do we do that? Like, God's got it. No, we can block for our lives God's grace and God's flow of his grace in our lives because of one thing that we're going to look at here in a, in a moment. But I've learned, and maybe you've learned, you've had, I, I call them grace periods, where there's a, been a period of time that God has just poured out his grace in my life and, and in, in, in humbling ways, in humbling ways. And there's many of them. I could talk all day. I won't do that to you because you got other things to do. But I would say that there's a moment, I, I thought about this week, one of them that stood out, and, and I maybe have shared this long ago, but if you've been around, but it's when I was 19 years old, and there's a period of time, eight-month period of time, that I end up getting, and this is 30 years later admitting this is really, is I, I, I got five tickets, speeding tickets, or traffic tickets. Three of them were speeding tickets. And I got in two accidents in eight months. One of the accidents was not my fault, by the way, so I want to make sure you knew that. But what it triggered was a couple of things. One is I had to go and, and I had a ticket. It was very expensive. I had to go down and try to get reduced. It was just outrageous, like a $500 ticket. And we won't go into details what happened there. But I, I was dating this girl, Christy, for about three weeks. I said, hey, you want to go out to, you know, go to, I got to go to Marysville. You want to go to Marysville? Like, okay. And so, I, I, you know, I think I told her before, but we're, I'm actually going to court. And so will you go with me? And I just thought, you know what? I think part of it was like, you know, she goes, oh, this, I think she wanted to date a bad boy. So I just thought that was what it was. <laughs> anyway, um, so we go there to court. And I just, I remember you telling your mom about it. Like, oh, who are you, you know, who's this guy, right? Going to, he's going to court, you know? And then after that, though, I ended up having to go to, I actually had to go to traffic school. I had to do a Saturday school. And I was in there, and, and, and I was just like, there were some scary people in traffic school, by the way, because I just didn't fit the park. You know, because, because here's the thing. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't drugging. I was just, I was just 
lead foot. That's what I had. I had a problem. Okay, that was my problem. But it wasn't, it wasn't my only problem that was going on. I ended up actually, because of all that and the expense of it, I, I, my insurance got dropped. I, I, I really couldn't afford it. And then they, they put mandatory insurance on, their new law, state law passed. So I really shouldn't have been driving my car at all. And so I ended up riding my bike a lot. And then, and then like, well, I'm dating a girl. It's like, hey, do you want to go out? Um, could you pick me up? Uh, and, and so I kind of lost the bad boy image right away with that. But it was a humbling time. I call it a grace period. You think, well, that's how much grace you, I mean, every time you got pulled over, you got a ticket. I did, but there's also times I should have got pulled over too, right? The grace that God gave me at times, I didn't, I didn't realize it. But there was something that was, there, there was an issue that was going on. As a cocky, really young adult, Again, I was not doing bad stuff. I was a good student. I was in a church internship. I was preparing for vocational ministry. It was a grace period of time because there's one issue that I had. Yes, I had the lead foot, but there was one thing I lacked, and God knew that, and I needed to get over it. I think you can relate. I, some of you can go, dude, you don't understand. Like, you had traffic tickets. I, get, I got another kind of record going on in my life. And I don't know that. You have your circumstances. Things have happened to you and the things you've done. But I think there's a lot of people in this room that can relate with me in this way. Is that you try really hard. You try to please everyone. You try to do the right things to keep your nose clean. And there's moments you just fall flat on your face. You're like, ah. Oh. Can I, never, can I ever get ahead here? How come? It just seems like I'm getting ding, 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 dinged along the way, penalized along the way. And I mess up and I mess up and I mess up and I mess up. See, Apostle Paul, if you're in that place of, of defeat and feeling defeated and failure, uh, he, I so identify. He says this. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. If I do what I do not want to do, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Oh, you ever get to that place? You're just, you're, you know, you're trying to do good. You're trying and all of a sudden, woo, party's over, right? Flashing lights, blue lights, and, and red lights. And you're just like, oh, you're dumbfounded. You're leveled. And you're just like, I, I could just use a little grace here, God. I'm late again with a term paper I got to turn in. I'm overdue on a, on a utility bill. I missed the deadline on that project that my work due was due yesterday. I, I can't, I, I just want a little extension, a little bit more time to get through. And what happens is time runs out, patience runs thin, grace for others runs dry, and D-Day comes. What do you do? Who do you turn to? I think you know the answer to that. You fall before God and wanting his mercy and grace in your life. And Jesus, who came for just that. The Bible says he came full of grace and truth. He offers it to us. And we looked in these last few weeks of grace-filled moments. Grace-filled moments that God gave through Christ to so many. And we're going to look at another one here this morning. And when you look at this and we get into it, you're going to, there's going to, I think there will be, I, there's going to be a moment where you're just going, I don't think that's grace filled at all. I think it's, in fact, it's going to be a little confusing. You're talking about God's grace in the middle of this, but there is a grace period extended to one guy in, in particular. And it's in Mark's gospel that we're going to look at today in chapter 10. So you can turn your Bibles, Bible app. It's on the screen here this morning. And it says in verse 17, 
It says, as Jesus started out on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And let me describe, and we'll go in detail and read the other Gospels, but the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the Synoptics because they're similar. And they're written a certain period of time, and there's, there's some shared authorship of, of sources that, kind of, that sound familiar that make them line up if you, if you read them. But each of them have a little bit different details of different stories. And when you put them together, you get a little bit fuller picture of what's going on. Now, John, I love the book of John. In fact, the book of John's my favorite gospel. Gospel. And so when I get to heaven, I'm going to have to tell Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I love your Gospels, but John's my favorite, and hopefully you won't be disappointed. I love John because it's very metaphorical and, and describes God as a light, and, and Christ as a light and a shepherd. I just love John. John's, John was written more to the Greek audience, and that you can read how that is, and a little bit later it was written. So these, but, but the description in the synoptics basically lay this guy, this man, is a rich, young confident, religiously zealous leader or ruler of some sort. This is a guy you consider the successful young entrepreneurial in society. It'd be the ancient Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook or a young Steve Jobs of Apple. This young, cocky, rich kid asks this profound question. It's a really good question. If you're going to ask Jesus a question, this is a really good question. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit? Ter- I don't know, it's not, probably not British accent, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what I did. But wh- wh- why? Well, here, what a beautiful question, and this is a great question. And you, and you go, you know, think about this is the number one question. How do I get to heaven? Right? I would want to ask that to Jesus. You'd think it would be, but only Jesus, he, he's reading this guy like a book. He, he knows the motive of this man's heart. He senses he's kind of getting buttered up here a little bit. So he asks a question back. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Okay. Then he shoots back. Jesus says to this guy, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He just goes to list some of the commandments and the, these religious rules that many want. And, and here's the response of the young guy. He just says back, teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. He's basically saying to Jesus, Oh yeah, I did these things. You got that. You bet. I've done that. Been there, done that. Followed the rule book. Filled up the form correctly. Did everything in procedure. What's next, Jesus? What else do you got for me to do? And here's the response to the rich young leader. It's a powerful phrase. We're going we're gonna to look at it in a moment. We're going to look in a moment. Here, but yeah, there's this parenthetical statement that's made here. A powerful phrase. Before we get it, Jesus says this. He says, or this is what Jesus does. He says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and loved him. And that, you could gloss over that. You're getting, that's, that's, he looked at him and loved him. What was he looking at? He was looking at, and the Greek there, that word look, it actually means look with intent, like deep intention. It's it's examining his soul. He knew him inside and out. Have you ever met anybody that just looks at you and and, and they're they're just, they're like, they're like looking into your soul and you're just looking at like, you know, okay, you're freaking me out, right? I don't know that was going, but he looked at me, loved him. What What is he looking at? He's looking at him with compassion. He's looking with care for this guy. Let me, let me ask you this before we move on. When Jesus looks at you, which he does, what do you think he sees? 
If you eye-to-eye contact with Jesus, what would he be seeing? Now, how you grew up has a lot to do with it. How you were treated as a child. All those things factor. How you think of God. But a lot of it has how you think of yourself. How you see yourself as a relation to how you see God. If you don't see yourself as a very nice person, if you feel like you've been, you know, you've been judged a lot or you, people have put you down and you don't have a high esteem of yourself, you might look to God that God sees you that way. And it's quite the opposite. Jesus is looking at you and I with incredible, incredible compassion and love, acceptance, and forgiveness that wants to, desires to pour out his grace in your life. But he also is a man of, full of, came full of grace and truth. This is what he says to this young ruler. He says, one thing you lack, he says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Scripture says next, says, at, at, the, as, at this the man fell, face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Time out. <laughs> what? This is where you go. This is not very grace-filled. This is the moment where we're kind of going... It seems extreme here, Jesus. You're saying for, for him to follow you that he has to sell everything? That's not real smart. That doesn't make it seem real right. That doesn't seem very grace-filled. And yet, it's an expression of the most amazing moments of grace in Scripture like none other. And Jesus does what he does well. He says to him this. He's, he says, there's one thing you lack. One thing. What is that one thing? Well, Jesus and only what he can do is he specializes in laser surgery. Jesus put his finger on the most sensitive part of this guy's soul. And he desires to do the same for us. Let me ask, with all sensitivity and love, let me ask you, what is the one thing you lack? What is the one thing? What issue, struggle, obstacle that's preventing you from being fully devoted follower of Christ? What it might be. You might have a few things. You, you, you might go, it's selfishness. It's, it's fear. It's worry. It's greed. It's some sort of sin. It's something, it's an addiction. There's something in the way. And all of those could be true. Not to negate any of those. Those are real issues. Those are real struggles and sins you, you have. But actually, under the surface, there's one thing that we lack, we, uh, we can all relate with. It's the one thing that I can relate with, and I can relate with it as a 19-year-old Teenager to reveal to me. When I had the five tickets and two accidents in eight months, and again, one of them was not my fault. Do you know what it was? You see, for this man, you would think it's this, well, it's his wealth. You see, wealth, you need to realize for this man, it was, a simple, it was a simply a symptom for this guy who was looking in the eyes of Jesus. No, he lacked one thing. And it says one thing is not willing to give up. For him to experience true grace. And so what happened? He went away. Scripture doesn't record what happened to the guy. It's sad. We know, there's nowhere to know what ha- ever happened to this guy. But verse 23, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed as, at, these, at, at his words, but Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And you're like, Wow, okay, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, this does not, this is not building much thought of you being full of grace. 
I mean, so why, what does it take to go to heaven? I mean, what does it, what, what do you mean, you know, it's hard. What do you mean by this? Well, the next part is the whole key to the whole deal. Look at verse 25. It says, Jesus, this is his answer. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, oh yeah, that makes sense completely now, Lord. Some of you are like, a camel and a needle? Like, I, well, what is that all about? Well, they knew back then, for Middle Eastern, first century, they knew what he was describing. And by the way, the, a camel's a camel, but the needle was not a sewing needle. It was actually an opening of a city. It was a city gate. And, and they had to, what people need to do to get into the city is they got to get their camel through the gate, through the needle, this opening. And it was hard. I guess it's hard. It was, I've never tried it. There's a, it's hard. I've never ridden a camel. In fact, in, in Israel, uh, there, you know, I, I, was, I wish I, got, I could ride a camel. I didn't get to ride a camel. I was told that camels, like if you ride a camel, then people, someone would like steal your stuff while you're riding the camel. So they would say, don't ride camels. It's a scam and everything. I'm like, oh, I wanted to ride a camel. So next time I go, I'm going to ride a camel. <laughs> but I never rode one before. But apparently, what you can go through the city, if you're up on your camel... I, I, you have to get off your camel and dismount it, and then you had to get not just yourself through, but you had to get your camel through there. And what they had to do is they had to get the they had to get the camel to like kneel or scrouch, you know, crouch down. Now I'm, that's got to be hard to get a camel. I mean, just to get the camel to go through this kneel because it's too tall. What's Jesus saying? I believe it's this, that it's easier for a stubborn camel to bow through the, city, the gate of a city than a human heart that's so stubborn and not willing to bow before a holy God. See, the one thing that the rich, young, religious leader lacked was his not willingness to give away not just his wealth, but rather his willingness to surrender even more than his possessions and everything he had. It's his willing to surrender his very self. See my issue at 19 years old and trying to do good, be a good Christian guy, trying to please God and check every box. All that was there is this. I believe it, in fact, is for all of us here. It's more than the greed and the selfish and sin and lust and addiction and all the things you have. There's one thing we lack. There's one thing that's holding us back to really, truly follow Christ, and that is humility. Pride is the biggest issue we have. See, if you look back in Adam and Eve, and, and the, the, why, did they, why did they bite in the forbidden fruit and told not to do it? Don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because pride got a hold of them. Pride was saying, oh, we're, we're missing out on what God has. We, God doesn't want the best for us. And so we are going to do, take our, our life in our own hands. We're going to do it our way. We think it's better. It's pride. Pride, at the end of the day, gets us every time. It's the one thing. It's that one thing. And you're wondering where does it all come from? There's one verse that sums it all up. And everything we talk about when it comes to this, this one thing is this. James 4, 6 says this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, if you, if you want to be against God, against his plans, against his purposes, kingdom, go ahead and live your life the way like you don't need him. Go ahead and believe you don't need his help and forgiveness and power. Go ahead and believe that you're the rich enough and smart enough and sexy enough and good enough person to do that. Go ahead and do that. Let's see how it goes for you, but go ahead and go that way. What happens is, no, pride comes before a fall. 
And you and I know, and people around us, we, it's easier to see it in other people. We've seen people with pride, and they've crashed, and they've burned, and you're going, oh, if they only knew, if they only knew. And yet, all of us find ourselves at some level with the same issue that we lack, and that is humility. See, pride is the barrier for God's grace to really, truly, truly penetrate our lives. See, when Jesus' closest disciples heard the camel through the eye of the needle deal, it says they were even, it says they were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? That's a, I mean, that's a pretty big question. It's really hard. It's very difficult and almost impossible. You know, to enter the God's kingdom, then who can be saved? It was a kind of a feeling of eternal insecurity at this moment. And I think that is the insecurity. I thought about, I think about pride. You know, pride's almost the outer, the outer, the outer covering of, of the inner core of pride. That, that, that the outer external, you know, you know, we can be, we got it all together, we're fine, everything's great, you know, life is good, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. You ever get with people and they just share their resume and what's going on, you know, and even Christians, oh, God's good, he's blessing my life, and everything's going great, and everything, you know what I'm saying? And inside, you're going, the more they're talking about that, and even throwing God in there, you're like... Something's going on, they're protecting. There's something going on. There's actually possibly, like, there's actually insecurity. The soft side, the, 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 the softness of insecurity, the insecure soul that is there. How many know pride proving themselves, really compensating for insecurity? And it could be for this, this rich young leader, I did this, I accomplished this. We could do the same thing. But yet, here's these disciples going, well, then who can really be saved? And even the disciples saying, Lord, we've given up everything. We will follow you. And yet you're saying, even that? It's not good enough? I'll sell everything. By the way, you know, if you literally follow this, like Jesus says, sell everything and come follow him. If you sell everything and, and, you, 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 and you give all your money away, you know what will happen is? Then we got to help you. That doesn't make sense, does it? It's so much different. It's so much beyond what we have. See, what... You and I need to do to be devoted follower of Jesus. Listen, this is what Jesus says. He said he looked at them. He looked at the disciples, looked at them, and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Okay, so none of us, like, celebrate, do this, do that. None of that matters. None of it's going to be good enough. It will never be. We lack one thing. The Apostle Paul says it this way. All have sinned are not good enough for God's glory. All need to be made right with God by His grace, which is a free gift. It's the free gift. What's the free gift? It's grace. It's the keros word we talked about the first week. The grace gift that we have. It's a gift from God because of the cross and what Jesus did. See, Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection on the third day made the impossible possible. He, he, he is and given us this amazing grace that's available to us absolutely as a free gift. You, it's to, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't do all the rules and religious rules. It's receiving it. But here's the caveat on receiving it. As you receive it, this is what you are exchanging with uh, your very life. That's it. That's all. Yeah, your very life that you give to him. It wasn't about the guy's wealth. It wasn't about any, it was about giving his very life over to him. I want to share this, this, this thought for you here. And it's this. Grace is always hindered, always hindered due to pride, but always available to those who are willing to surrender it all. 
grace is, is always hindered. It's always hung up due to, the, to, due to pride, but always available to those who are willing to surrender it all. Jesus told the rich young other, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will find, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. It's giving it all, surrendering it all. How do we do that? Well, here's some practical thoughts of surrendering all through this pathway. Pathway to, is through humility. Understand this, that everything we have is his and sometimes he wants it back. <laughs> that God, you need to understand when it comes to, when it comes to what you have. And what you, see, as, as an only child, okay, I'm an only child. And some of you are like, yes, we know you're an only child. Uh, it's evident, knowing me. But as an only child, this is what I used, used to go, that, that this is my room, this is my toys, this is my stuff. And my cousins come over and I was like, this is mine, okay? You're breaking it, don't do that. But, I, it was just, but here's the thing, it wasn't really mine. It was Chuck and June McAvoy's room. <laughs> they paid the mortgage. Well, they didn't even own it. The bank owned it. Well, the bank did. At the end of the day, this is what it says. See, we live in God's house called earth. It says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. But yet pride, pride tells us that we got to work hard for what is ours. We got to grab hold of it. We got we to tight fist it. Hang on. You don't want to lose it. You don't want to let go of it. And so you got, and you know what happens, we, we get in this, we get in this mentality. It's called the land, living in the land of lack. And if I don't grab hold of it, I don't get it for myself. I'm going to, it's going to, it's going to be gone. But the problem with hanging on to it is we have a tough time letting go. <laughs> when God's saying, because he gave it to us here. And then we go, I don't know, God. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know. We're hanging on. And pride says, no, 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 no. You got to hang on to it. Where's, why is that? Because we're insecure. We're insecure and we're lacking faith in Christ and who he is. And we struggle, don't we? And yet when we are willing to let go, we can start living a surrendered life. It's living light. And Solomon, we talk all summer, the richest man in, in the ancient world. We spent the entire few months talking about his life and when he said this even when I surveyed all my hands have done and what I have toiled to achieve everything was meaningless a chasing after the wind nothing was gained under the sun so yes surrender life recognizes this that everything we touch taste hear smell did I get all five missing one everything that we have it's tangible is going to be gone one day poof gone and what we'll have is the intangible. It's love. It's each other and who we are for all eternity. Many of you know the experiences. You know what it's like to go from rags to riches to rags again. You've had it all and you lost it all. And you know, no, I know what's really truly valuable. Let me ask this question though. What is one thing you're hanging on to you need to let go of? What is that one thing? What is that one thing? Is it, is, it, is it a past failure? Is it a past success? Is it an addiction? Is, is it an obsession? Is it a possession? Is it actually maybe even a person? A worry? Are you, are you, approval you have in an unhealthy way? Here, here's, here's a next step for you this week. Is this. You can fill this in the blank. I will let go of blank this week. What is it? What, what, what do you want to... He's like, oh, if I could just get over this. If I could get over this worry, if I could get over this, this issue I have toward this person, if I could, what is it? And ask God, yes, Lord, help me to let it 
go. And when you identify that one thing, and when you're a sellout to Jesus, that's really what we're talking about. Sell out to this pathway of humility. Know this. Realize there will be times that he will express his power through, through our weakness. There will be times that we recognize he will express his power through our weakness. I think we need to recognize that, in, you know, there is moments we, we just don't have it figured out. And, and, I, and I want to confess that to you. I, I feel like I'm, it's a safe group here to tell you that, that and my theology degree and the books and the le- leadership and all the things I've learned over these many decades and what I've done is this. And, and I'm, I, I, well, I told the first service too, so I guess I'll tell you, is this, that I don't always have it figured out. You're like, well, I know you, dude. You don't have it all figured out. And you don't have it all figured out either. And what's beautiful, when we cry out to God, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. God's like, all right, cool. I can do something with that. God is actually overjoyed because he goes, I, we're going to do something together. I love how the Apostle Paul, the smartest religious guy, was humbled he was humble. This was his grace period moment that by Jesus himself, literally thrown off a high horse, ended up forsaking everything to follow Christ. He writes this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are. So no one, can may, no one may boast before him. No one may boast before him. See, I've, I've learned godliest wisdom, some of the most profound things in my life have not really always been from theological training, seminars, books, as much as those are appreciative and they continue to grow and learn. What I've learned really truly understanding God and understanding life itself is the people that, that are so common even uneducated people that having such incredible faith, but also express the weaknesses and the failures they've gone through and the pain they've experienced from it. And they live to tell about it. And they tell me, and like, that's what I'll hang on to. Learn a lot through people's failures rather than their successes. God, here's the thing. God's attracted to weakness. He can't resist us being humbly honest before him. And, and when we do that, humility becomes our friend. It becomes our greatest teacher because we're putting God in the spotlight. We're resting in our, our trust in him totally. Surrendering all, finally, is in the path of humility is knowing this, that at any point in time when pride surfaces, his grace diminishes. At any point in time, my friend Grant Fishbook says this, when, when, when pride walks in on the stage, Jesus walks out. We're not, he doesn't want to compete with that. I, I kind of relate this way. You ever like accomplish something really great? Like, I mean, you know you're great and actually people go, wow, unbelievable. And you're like, nah, that's okay. But actually inside of you, your head is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're just like, oh my gosh, how am I going to even fit it through the door, you know? And you walk out in the street, and you're just like, everything's so good, and you trip. I literally had that happen one day. Like, I'm feeling, you know, and, there's, and, and our response when we trip is not like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm klutzy. It's someone there to do something about this crack in this sidewalk, you know? Get some cones, call the city, blame. What's going on? There's just moments that God just wants to humble us, not to be mad at us. But you're going, I think you made it about you, dude. 
Ma'am, I think you made it life about you. And there's moments, and out of his goodness and his love, even as a father to us, Hebrews tells us this. It says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. But listen to this. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Wow, share in his holiness? That's through humility. It's It's not about me. It's about you, Lord, and what you're doing. And at the end of the day, when everybody goes... You're not the one getting the credit, but God is. That's awesome, that place. And humility is a daily process. Jesus says, follow me daily. Take up your cross and follow me daily. This grace that flows through us is this, that nothing would hinder it. And not letting pride, that one thing we like, that pride to get in the way. This grace period we have is this life that we have. But I want you to know, and you can be reminded of this today, that grace period will end one day. And it will end for everyone. But the grace that's poured out has been poured out already. If you're wondering the pathway to humility, how do we go about it? We follow Jesus. God himself modeled it to us by sending Christ to model humility and help us listen to these words. And, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and become obedient to death, even death on the cross. And what that means at that moment is he took your driving record and cleaned it up. Like expunged it, like it's clean. Your sin record is gone. There's no record. You are completely clean before and pure before God. But because of that, guess what happens? Therefore, God exalted him the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every on heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we need to be reminded of this, that if we don't bow now, we will be bowing later. In fact, we all will bow later. How do you want to bow? How do you want to bow? What's your attitude in bowing before the Lord? Because you and I will bow one day. If you're a follower of Jesus and you, you, you took advantage of this grace period on this earth and you received Christ as your Lord, your Savior, your call to follow Him, you're going to stand before one day. In fact, what's going to happen is you're going to be brought to your knees. And I believe what we're going to experience as believers, we're going to be brought to our knees and we're just going, Jesus... You are Lord. Can you imagine that one day that we are going to experience the awe and worship of our Lord and our Savior? How amazing that's going to be one day. Wow. Unbelievable. It would be sobering. It would be, but imagine experience that we're going to be in worship and everything. And we just say, Jesus, you are Lord. But those, those during this time on this earth, missing and not taking advantage of and refusing the grace period offered, they also are going to need to bow. Because why? The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that bowing is going to look a little different. It probably will be forced Jesus, you are Lord. We have choice. We have a choice to bow and humble our hearts before God. We have the opportunity to do that. If you've not bowed your knee to Jesus, we want to pray with you and encourage you to take that step today. 
But we're all going to bow one day. Oh, let's bow in worship. Let's bow in awe. Let's not, let's not bow in protest and force to, to take advantage of this grace period that the Lord's given us. Let's, let's let go of our stubborn hearts. Let's let go of what we're holding back to give it all. Don't let anything lack for you to hinder, that would hinder you to experience this amazing, amazing grace. Will you pray with me? I think all of us, all of us recognize, Lord, that, that we've had humbling moments, Lord. I call them grace periods, but it, sometimes it doesn't feel like a lot of grace. We've, we've just experienced a lot of, a lot of pain and, and stuff that we, we were hoping to get out of, Lord, and we, we didn't get out of. It, it just, and yet you use those moments to wake us up. You use those moments to direct us back to you that we, we find ourselves having to bow before you, having to humble ourselves because we have nowhere else to turn. That in our greatest time of weakness, those, that's when you do your greatest work, Lord. And when we recognize that, that's the grace moment. We've come to our senses that we realize that we are in, in, in desperate need of you. And that's what you love and that you so want to pour it out. You, you, as you looked in the eyes of this rich young ruler, you were looking in our eyes even today. And that you look with eyes of love and of compassion. And that you say to us, it's this one thing, this one thing, let it go. Let go of your very self and surrender to me today. Lord, if there's some here today have not bowed the name to the name of Jesus May today be their day of humbling themselves and receiving you as Lord and Savior. In fact, this, this morning, if your head bowed here, I want to take a moment. I want to take a moment. I just sense that maybe there's someone here in this room that you've really not bowed your heart to the name of Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Could you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you today if that's you. I would hate to miss the opportunity if you've not received Christ that you would not one day, as we all will, bow before heaven and say, Jesus, you are Lord in worship rather than being forced to bow. I want to make sure today. But I encourage us all here today, if you're, you're in a place and there's areas of your life that you've allowed pride to seep in, just confess that to the Lord. Lord, I've made it about me. And for some, it might not just be the success, but it's been your failures. You've been beating yourself up. You've been, you've been also, and, and I know this is weird to say this, but it's actually a form of pride as well. And I would confess that as well, that worry and, and anxiety and stress and things that I've worried about, I've made them bigger than, than the Lord. I've actually, that's a form of pride because somehow I'm thinking I have to figure it out and I have to deal with it rather than giving it to God. Give it to him today. Let it go. Let it go. Jesus, we, we're here today and we just... We bow before you and we say, Lord, I need you. I need you in my life. And Lord, you, you love us when we need you. It's not an enablement thing. It's a, it's a dependence upon your spirit that we don't make it about us anymore. We make it about you and what you want to do. And so God, as we bow our hearts, may we bow our, our, and our knees. We, may we live a surrendered life this week as we go from this place, Lord. God, I pray as we, whatever we have, Lord, we leave it here so that we can walk life out a little bit lighter this week. 
a little bit more bounce in our step, the joy you give us, that we can live this life of grace and nothing, nothing would hinder it, especially our very selves that would get in the way. We bow our stubborn hearts to your and leave it at your cross that you provided. That one day, Lord, we're going to celebrate. We're going to be so excited that we're going to bow before you and declare you Lord of all. We thank you, Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand your feet as we close in this final song. And as as Clark leads.